Welcome to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. My name is Andrea Wilson-Woods, and I'm the CEO and co-founder of Cancer U. Join me each week as I interview cancer patients, caregivers, survivors, and providers about their cancer journeys. You're listening to Cancer Youth Thrivers, where real people share true stories. Rebecca Durant's hine is a breast cancer thriver, having been diagnosed when she was 28 years old. She is an actor, writer, teacher, and integrative cancer care advocate. In 2019, she founded Solace Cancer Community, where she shares weekly posts and blog articles that cover topics on integrative and whole body healing pre and post cancer. Rebecca, thank you so much for coming on yeah. and sharing your story. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm, I'm thrilled. You don't look a day past 22. Oh. <laughs> so, <laughs> so take us back to the beginning yeah. because you were quite young mm-hmm. and tell us what happened. How did it begin? So it began with um, a self-check. I, I didn't do them regularly, but um, and I d- had never really been taught the proper way to do them either. But I had heard that you know you should just be familiar with what your breast tissue feels like, so that if something does change, then you notice it. So I would just sort of have a random feel around every couple of months. One day in the shower, which is not actually where you should do your self-checks, but. I was in the shower and uh, yeah, just felt a little lump right on the outside. I almost didn't know if it was actually in my breast tissue or not because it was so far to the side and right over a rib. Um, but I'm one of those people who I go to the doctor for everything. I'm, I've always been sort of anxious about health. I think I was at the doctor the same week and um, she felt it and said, okay, well, let's do a, an ultrasound first because mammograms are not that pleasant. Um, so maybe we can eliminate the need for that. So we did an ultrasound. It came back inconclusive. They said somewhat suspicious, but also not. Um, so they recommended a biopsy. Um, so she said, let's do a mammogram anyway, just to see if we can eliminate having to do a biopsy. And my mammogram came back negative. Um, and I actually saw the image myself. It all looked white. And that's because I have dense breast tissue, which a lot of women have. Um, and you won't know really until you get a mammogram for the first time. And unfortunately, when you have dense breast tissue, t- cancerous tissue and normal tissue, healthy tissue, all looks the same. It's like looking for a snowball in a snowstorm. It's all white. My doctor, bless her for whatever reason, she said, you know what, let's just do the biopsy anyway. And so, yeah, that is what uh, eventually diagnosed me. Um, it was a pretty big shock to everyone um, because my mammogram had been negative uh, and even the guy who did my biopsy came in I think he was eating a snack and he was just like ah you know I've seen your scans they look pretty good it's mobile I don't think it's anything so I was pretty relaxed um, waiting for my results because everyone had seemed to be pretty nonchalant about it which was a good thing while I was waiting but I was so relaxed about it that I didn't ask anyone. It didn't occur to me to bring anyone to my appointment, to my follow-up appointment when I got the results of the biopsy, Mm. which I now would never recommend. Even if you are very confident, still bring somebody just in case. Um, So yeah, that was a really wild moment because I was all by myself and just being alone with that knowledge and knowing that you have so many people in your life that you're about to just completely change their lives and they don't know it yet. 
Uh, it was a really crazy feeling, yeah, to be like, I'm the only one who knows this information right now. And it was, now I am, part of me is grateful because I'm a people pleaser. <laughs> so if I had had other people there with me, I probably would have been more concerned about how they were feeling um, instead of sort of just taking mm. in the information myself. That is how we eventually found it. And then I had everything How long ago really was this? Um, so that was just over four years. I had my cancerversary in July. So yeah, it was uh, July of 2017. The, the tumor was small. I was very, very, very lucky that I found it when I did. It was stage one and uh, after surgery, we learned it hadn't moved into the lymph nodes yet. And it was just because of where it was, it was right on the outside. And if it had been anywhere else closer to the, you know, the, in the center of my breast, it would have had to get a lot bigger before I would have noticed it. And because I was so young, not getting mammograms, not that it would have shown up anyway, but that really was my only chance of finding it, was feeling it myself. So my, my doctor literally said, you won the lottery finding this when you did. Like, you're so lucky that you were checking, because so many young people don't. You're so lucky that you actually went to the doctor, because again, young and old alike, people don't like going to the doctor, especially when they're nervous about something. So yeah, I was just incredibly, incredibly lucky that I found it when I did. So we did surgery first because it uh, was small. So I think I was in surgery less than two weeks later. I was diagnosed on a Thursday, and I think I was in surgery not the next Monday, but the one after that. So it was like a week, a week and a half. And that was also an incredibly crazy week. I think I was at the hospital like five out of eight days or something like that for various tests and pre-op physical and all of that stuff. And then we got into all the other wonderful treatments after that. <laughs> Well, what surgery? Let's start with what yeah, surgery did so you I opt a, So I, I had a lumpectomy um, and an auxiliary node biopsy. Uh, so they removed three lymph nodes, the ones that were closest. They inject a dye and that tells them which lymph nodes are closest to the tumor, more, most likely to have cancerous cells in them if it started to spread. Luckily, those were all negative. The tumor itself was, I was triple positive, which means estrogen and progesterone receptor positive, meaning those hormones were feeding the tumor. And then it was also HER2 positive, which is another receptor, which has to do with the cell taking in protein, basically, and it lets those cells grow faster. So HER2 positive cancers tend to be more aggressive. And then the tumor was also grade three, which means grade one is it's a little bit uh, abnormal when compared to a normal cell. Grade three is like very abnormal when compared to a normal cell. So again, grade three tends to be more aggressive than grade one. It was hormone positive. They tend to tell you that's a good type to have, which I hate that wording, but they do say, you know, because there are lots of other treatment options in terms of preventing a recurrence afterwards with hormone therapies, but HER2 does make it more aggressive. But now with the introduction of Herceptin, not that long ago. I had that for a year as well. It's another intravenous drug that blocks the, those HER2 receptors. Um, and so, yeah, helps to prevent those cells growing as quickly. So that was my, um, my pathology. And we really, my, my genetics were all negative. Um, I didn't, I was not BRCA positive or any of the other uh, genes that they test for that they know are related to cancer. So yeah, it was a, a, a real surprise because it doesn't run in my family. Again, my genetics were negative. I was really young. I ha didn't have very many risk factors, um, didn't smoke, didn't drink that much. It was a shock. <laughs>
So following that surgery, you did do Herceptin for a year? Mm -hmm. I did Herceptin for a year. And then I followed that. I, on, I'm on tamoxifen now for five. I did do one round of chemotherapy um, because in Canada, the government requires you to have had chemotherapy in order to receive Herceptin. You have to match the, the conditions of the trials that were done. So I took an integrative approach to my healing, which means I did con uh, conventional treatments, but then I also combined it with a lot of uh, things like lifestyle changes and then alternative and natural therapies as well, like mistletoe and high-dose vitamin C. And there's a lot. I did so many things. Probably <laughs> like everything you can think of, I probably did. I knew that I didn't want to do a full course of chemotherapy. It just didn't feel right to me and it was only going to reduce my risk of recurrence by 1.8%. And so for me, that just was not enough of a reduction to put my body through. And then also because I was young, that was another consideration. The longer you're alive after you receive treatments, the higher your chances of developing other, you know, secondary cancers or other long-term effects. So because I was young, that really factored into my decision as well um, because I knew that going forward, I, yeah, was going to be really nervous about <laughs> like all those other potential long-term side effects as well. So, yeah, so I did do one round of the Red Devil as as we all call it, AC. Yes, yes. Yeah, it was. Uh, and you did that you know, just to fulfill the requirement. Just to fulfill the requirement. It also did feel very right in my gut, which is, so I really made my treatment decisions based on, I, I mean, I asked everyone I possibly could. I had an oncologist, still a naturopath, two naturopaths, uh, and an integrative oncologist. And so I asked all of them repeatedly every question I could possibly think of. I asked everyone I knew what they would do. <laughs> Um, I did a lot of research on statistics and recurrence rates and um, outcomes and then I just sort of, so I informed my gut with all of that and then I just really sat with the information and it was the first time in my life that I've ever really had to trust myself and I realized I was waiting for someone to tell me, do this and you will be okay. And then I mm -hmm. realized at the same time that no one was ever going to tell me that, that these were decisions. You know, it's one of those times in life where it really has to be all you. Everyone can give input, but the ultimate decision really has to be yours. Um, and it has to be the one that feels right for you and feels comfortable for you. So, yeah, that was equally scary and empowering to have to rely on myself in that way. So then I really just tuned into my gut and listened to what came up. And it was uh, very... Certain things were just a very obvious no. It was very visceral. I could like feel it in my gut. I could hear no in my head. I would like, my whole body would tense. Give us an example of a visceral no. I would imagine, for example, with radiation, I would imagine in as much detail as I could getting that treatment and what that would be like. So lying on the table and getting the tattoos and having all this stuff and would just sort of tune in to what my body was telling me and when I mean when I say visceral it was like a physical reaction that I could feel it was yeah very tense very um I would like automatically just start shaking my head no I would hear no in my head like a like a clenching a cutting off it was just like a very clear no and then when I would imagine doing things like Herceptin even that one round of chemo um tamoxifen it was like a relaxing, a releasing, a relief. It felt good. It felt warm. It felt reassuring. It was never like that before. I mean, I'm a perfectionist. I make lists. I, I overthink. So I, I would rely beforehand 
before this, very much on my head. This was, it was new for me, entirely new for me, but it was just sort of the way I naturally went about it. I didn't really think about it and say like, okay, this is how I'm gonna make my decisions. It just, that's just kind of what happened. Um, that's what I did, I ended up. Your, yeah, how involved were your family and friends? Pretty involved. My partner, he was really just wonderfully supportive of me. Uh, he just said, you know, whatever you want to do. He didn't really try to sway me in either direction. My mom is also, she's always been interested in natural medicine and alternative healing. Um, she had a lot of health issues when she was young and got to a point where doctors just couldn't do anything for her anymore. So she had to find her own solutions. And so, yeah, that kind of inspired a openness to alternative forms of medicine. And so I was already sort of open to it and I already knew I know me, I'm gonna to try to do everything I can uh, as well in addition to everything that the doctors discuss with me. So I already knew I was gonna do that. And so she really was very supportive of me doing an integrative uh, route. She didn't really want me to do chemo at all. She was really nervous about me doing that. And then on the other side of the spectrum, my in-laws, my, my partner's parents, he, they were very, very, very nervous about me not doing chemo and not doing radiation or not finishing chemo and not doing radiation. And they actually had, they have a friend who's an oncologist. We, they brought him over to their house and invited oh, no. me over and sat me down and really from a place it sounds of love like an and intervention. Care. It was, it was really was almost like an intervention. Inadvertently, funnily enough, he was the one who gave me the idea for only doing one round of chemo because he said, you know, if someone's not going to tolerate it well, we know this, if they're older or whatever, we'll give them one round as, so that they can do Herceptin. So then that actually gave, ended up giving me the, the direction that I wanted to go in inadvertently. <laughs> but yeah, so I did have, I, I don't want to make it seem like they were pressuring me in any way. They were just very concerned and very worried. So they wanted to ensure that they had done all that they felt they could do to express how they were feeling and, and what they wanted me to do. But they still entirely left it up to me to make that decision. It was a combination. Um, and, and I'm very lucky that everyone really did let me do that because it's led to a lot of confidence in myself and a lot of um, empowerment in the process um, and a lot of personal growth. And I think if I hadn't been allowed to stand on my own two feet and, and make those decisions and then force myself to stick to them, because again, I'm a people pleaser. Two of the scariest days was when I were when I had to go to my medical oncologist and told her I was stopping chemo and then to go to my radiation oncologist and say I wasn't going to do radiation. Those were two of the scariest days Why? for sure. Why? Because I care very much or I'm, I say I'm a recovering people pleaser because <laughs> cancer has pushed me towards that uh, recovery as well. I cared far too much what other people thought of me and my decisions, and it's something that I'm still working on. And so I thought they would judge me. I was afraid they would think I was a bad patient. Um, I was afraid they were going to, I was also afraid they were gonna pressure me really hard, and then that would be a very difficult conversation, and I was worried that I, would get swayed and wouldn't wouldn't stick to to my decisions. So yeah, those were those were very scary days going in to those conversations because they're I knew it wasn't what they wanted to hear, and that was something that was very scary for me at that time. They honestly, my radiation oncologist, I suspect now that he didn't really think I needed radiation, but felt as though he needed to to make the offer because he very quickly was like, okay, yeah, no problem. Whereas my, yeah, it was like not even a discussion. He was like, okay, no worries. 
See you later. Whereas my, yeah, my, my medical oncologist, you know, she brought in her supervisor and they both, you know, they went through other various options. What about reduced concentrations? What about, you know, just not doing taxol at the end? Um, so yeah, they, they pushed a little bit harder, but you no, know, ultimately it, I, I stuck with my first decision. And I think, you know, people have said, aren't you afraid that if, you know, you have a recurrence, you're going to regret not doing those treatments then because they may have, you know, prevented that from happening. And I always say no, because I think if you can get to a place where you know that you have made the best decision that you could for yourself at that time with the information that you had, you can't ever really blame yourself or, I mean, you can be upset that it didn't turn out the way you wanted to, but I don't think I would ever regret or blame myself because I did the best I could at that time. And so far, so good. Um, so yeah, no regrets so far. <laughs> you said you made lifestyle changes. Mm -hmm. And I find that interesting because you also said prior to that, that you didn't feel like you were someone at risk. I didn't. You, you didn't smoke, mm -hmm. you, you know, barely drank. Mm -hmm. So when you say lifestyle changes, what were they? The main one was diet because, you know, I thought I ate well, um, or at least not too bad. But now I know I really, you know, there were some days where I had maybe one vegetable or not even that. A big thing was, was diet. And I also ate a lot of sugar before, a ton of sugar before. Um, and I've since discovered that I have genetic variants that make my blood sugar more susceptible to uh, spikes after eating sugar and simple carbohydrates and that sorts of, those sorts of things. So I was probably really affecting my blood sugar levels and cancer cells really love sugar. So that was a main thing, cutting out sugar, cutting out dairy, cutting out wheat and other refined grains. Those are the main, the main three. Um, switching as much as possible to organic. Started exercising more than I had been before. Um, I stopped drinking entirely for the first two years. Now I start, you know, I'll, I drink on special occasions, things like that. But um, again, like I, now I don't really drink regularly at all. Um, but yeah, I could cut alcohol out completely for the first two years. I started integrating a lot more self-care <laughs> into my routine. Um, I started meditating just really to deal with the stress of the situation. But that really actually is what ended up allowing me to connect so much to myself and to my gut and, and it served me in so many ways um, moving forward. Um, so yeah, taking time for myself was a big thing. They talk about the breast cancer personality a lot, which is someone who tends to focus on other people and they don't take care of their own needs and they overmother and they people please and that was me to a T. It's an ongoing process, but um, that was another big change is that I tried to put more focus on myself and my needs and listen just listen to my body more because I was really ignoring it it was sending me signals for years and I just ignored them entirely listening to myself that was, that was a big part of it too um, and detoxing detoxing my home detoxing in terms of like throwing out you know my beauty products and my my body care uh, cleaning products and replacing them with ones that are more natural and don't contain any of um, the big baddies that we try to avoid, like sulfates and, and all of that stuff. So, yeah, my mental and emotional game really needed to change. Diet, detoxing, exercise, and sleep. Sleep. I was so bad for sleep before I would wake up. And I think it was because of my diet as well. Again, I, because I was eating a lot of sugar, I would wake up a lot in the night. I wouldn't go to bed early enough. That was a big one, too. And before I hit record, you said that you majored in theater in college mm -hmm. but then when you graduated you got a regular job yeah but getting cancer 
caused you to make some changes in your career. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Cancer has changed my life in like so many ways. I am, and I think many people say this after a diagnosis, I am a completely different person in, I mean, I'm still me, but I'm very different than I was before cancer. It sort of helped me to become the person that I feel like I was meant to be um, and helped place me into the life that I was meant to be in, but that I had been afraid to step into. And after university, I graduated and got scared, was young, insecure, not confident in myself and my abilities, and um, decided to take the easier route of going to teacher's college and starting to teach. And uh, I I love teaching and I still teach, um, but now I do it on a part-time basis. Um, Because, yeah, after cancer, I realized that I had always been telling myself, uh, you know, later, I'll, I'll do, I'll get into community theater or I'll find an agent, I'll do, I'll do it later, like it doesn't have to be now. Because especially when we're young, we think we're invincible, we think nothing's ever going to stop us, we think we're going to be alive forever, or at least for a very long time. Cancer happening when it did made me realize that, like, I mean, on some level, we know that's always a possibility. You know, you could walk out the front door and get hit by a car. People always say that. But we never actually are, not not all of us are actually faced with the reality of that, of, of our mortality. I had to do the things that I wanted to do when I am able to do them. And that is now. I'm able to do it now. So I have to do it now. Yeah, I got back into community theater. And then since then, um, you know, now I have an agent for theater and for film and TV and so I yeah I do both I teach part-time doing just like daily substitute work whenever I'm involved in something I just book myself off from teaching and I'm on set instead so it's a, a really I could not have imagined this life for myself honestly yeah would not have thought that that was possible I just didn't believe in myself for a long time I didn't have enough confidence and then and that goes back to even my treatment decisions and all of that, that really kick-started confidence in myself and relying on myself and believing in myself. I did a complete 180 in terms of my, my confidence and, and my belief in myself. And that is really what allowed me to, yeah, have the courage to go for it and put myself out there because that's also scary, but not as scary. <laughs> I realized getting to the end of my life, potentially much sooner than I thought and never having tried, that thought was so much scarier than just going for it. I think it was Lucille Ball who said, I'd rather regret the things I did Mm -hmm. than regret the things I never tried. That's it. Yeah, exactly. Imagining, and I did, I had a day where I was just imagining being on my last legs and, you know, my family gathered around me and like what that would be like, because of course you, you go to those places. And I imagined myself thinking about my whole life and what, I hadn't done and there I could already feel that regret I could already feel that deep regret Mm. and that was the final like okay no I got to do it now because that whole it was about seven years from when I graduated to when I got back into acting that whole time it just didn't leave me alone it was just you know always there in the back of my mind it kept poking so in my experience when that happens when there's something that just won't leave you alone it means it's something that you need to do I want to ask you one more thing related to that. You said your body was sending you signals Mm -hmm. for years. Can you give us an example of what you mean by that? Um, I was always tired constantly. Um, I actually said, told my mom once, 
I forget what it feels like to have energy and to feel rested completely. Like I don't even remember what that's like. That it's just my normal to be tired. Um, and like like so tired, I would sometimes be like doing that on my on my drive home from work. And I'm a teacher, so school ends at three o'clock. It's not a super long day. So that's really you know an indication of how how tired my body was. And I got headaches all the time. I probably had at least four headaches a week that I needed to take Advil or Tylenol for. And I realized about four or five months after my diagnosis and after I changed my diet that I hadn't had Tylenol or Advil that whole time and was just like so shocked. My body was telling me it doesn't like sugar. It doesn't like, you know, wheat. And I was, yeah, just ignoring that. Uh, and then the, the winter before I was diagnosed, I got sick. I think I had a cold every three weeks, you know, like I'd get a cold, I'd be sick for two weeks, I'd be better for a week or two, and then I'd get another one. And uh, that happened all winter. It was probably like seven or eight times over the course of those four or five months that, yeah, I had a cold. And that was, I did start working with a naturopath at that point, which was only about four or five months before I was diagnosed, um, just to start working on my immunity because I realized this is not normal. Like I should not be getting <laughs> sick this much. So we did start working on improving my immunity. And sometimes I wonder if that helped buy me some time uh, to find to find the tumor while it was still small because we were working on my hormones and we were working on my immune system. So then it was quite seamless. Actually, I was able to move right from that into cancer work with her instead. So I just didn't feel good. But we, we get so used to saying, oh, well, that's just normal for me. That's just the way that I am. Because it's been so long since we felt any other way that we forget that, oh, no, that's not how I don't have to feel that way. And in fact, if I do feel that way, it means something's wrong. Um, but we just get so used to like it pushing through and continuing on. And, you know, we say, oh, I'll sleep when I'm dead. But it might happen a lot sooner <laughs> than you saying. think. I know. I hate I it, too. I hate that saying. I hate it, too. I've never gotten good sleep. No. Since, I mean, not even as a little girl. And when I hear that, I'm just like, no, no I want to sleep. Yeah. I want good sleep. I want good sleep. Yeah. yeah. And I'm... not sleeping well. That was another thing, too. Yeah, I was waking up, like, every hour and a half I would wake up. Uh, for years take a good 20 minutes half an hour to fall back asleep so you're really just not getting into a nice deep sleep in that in that way so I spent many many probably a decade uh, really not sleeping properly um, and I know that had an impact and stress I started teaching in 2014 so I was starting a new career I had ended uh, a long-term relationship which was very stressful for me I had to move cities and I was working three jobs when I first started teaching. I was supply teaching, I was tutoring two nights a week, so those two days were 14-hour days because I'd go right from school to the tutoring center. And then I was working Saturdays at a bank, which was my job for the two or three years in between my undergrad and going to teacher's college. So I was working six days a week and two of those days were 14-hour days. So I was really, really, really pushing myself. Um, so stress, I know, was a really big factor as well. Are you itching for a good story? Laughter among friends, maybe even a mystery or two? Well, you're in luck. Fire Breathing Kittens is a standalone Dungeons & Dragons podcast. Each episode is a separate three-hour-long story, like a movie for your ears, so you can listen to these adventures in any order you like. So join us on a real play D&D quest as we solve mysteries, attempt comedic banter, and enjoy friendship. 
Vibrating Kittens podcast. Fantasy, action, mystery, friendship. And now you spend those 14 hour days on a set. Yeah, I know. Yeah. But it's enjoyable. I sit there, you know, I read my book, I have snacks. You're on set for 14 hours, but you're not, you know, you're not on for 14 hours. So, right. Yeah. right. What is one thing you wish you had known at the beginning of your cancer journey, Rebecca? I wish that I had known that and literally anything is possible on a healing journey. Yes, there are negative things that are possible and our mind tends to go there. Unfortunately, our brains have a tendency for whatever reason, probably survival mechanism from way back when, um, but to, to focus on and believe more readily in the negative, potential negative outcomes um, instead of focusing on all of the positives that are possible and the unknowns of cancer are the scariest part because we don't know what's going to happen and that can be absolutely terrifying but it can actually be a really wonderful thing too because we don't know what's going to happen and so just as there are negative things that could happen it's equally likely that things could work out exactly how you want them to or at least not nearly as awful as you're imagining so I wish I had just been aware of that fact of just how much is possible on a healing journey how far i was going to come and how much i was going to change like i had no idea any of that was possible and how much it was going to change my life but yeah just knowing that it could have it was as likely if not more that things were going to work out as i wanted them to or even in ways that i couldn't even imagine which is true it worked out in ways i couldn't have couldn't have even imagined at the time so yeah it would have been it would have been nice to know that because it would have been a comforting thought because yeah when you hear that word it is just everything else like everything stops yeah. all you see all you hear all you feel and it's just pure terror so to have something else to balance out that terror would have been nice <laughs> <laughs> now you are in canada yes. we're in canada uh, I'm in Ontario, southern Ontario in Hamilton. We're just uh, just uh, west of Toronto by about an hour. If you could only do one thing to improve healthcare in Canada, mm -hmm. what would it be and why? So uh, we are very lucky in Canada. Obviously, we have universal healthcare. And I remember walking out from my surgery without having to even look at a bill, without having to call an insurance company, literally walked in, walked out as if I was you know, going to the grocery store. And I remember thinking, this is why I pay my taxes. <laughs> because when you're young, you think like, oh, whatever, I don't need social services. We are very lucky. But the one thing that I do wish now is that um, it's just never made sense to me that we wouldn't use every possible tool at our disposal because modern medicine is a miracle in many ways. It saves lives, it saved my life. But there are so many other things that you can do in addition to those things that can mitigate the side effects of conventional treatments, that can actually work synergistically with them to make them more effective. And then especially with preventative care after you're done with conventional treatment because they really just sort of send you on your way and say, okay, see you in six months. And you're like, wait, I'm not gonna get a blood test. I'm not gonna get, I'm not gonna see you for six. Like what is happening? Uh, it's very scary. And there's so much that you can do 
from the alternative world um, and in terms of lifestyle changes and things like that that can really help to reduce your risk of recurrence. So I really just wish, and there's just as there is a lot of bias in the conventional world against alternative and natural, I was very surprised to discover that there is just as much bias in some parts of the natural medicine, alternative medicine world against conventional. It's very, very, very polarizing. And I was shocked to see that actually from some people. Yeah, I just wish that the two worlds would work together because so much more is possible when the two work together. We really do see the best outcomes from like a combined treatment path and um, just in terms of quality of life, but also effectiveness as well. There's really just so much that can be done. And I, yeah, I just wish that it was both were more accepted by each other and that they just cooperated and played well together because <laughs> it's really, really hard as a person who chose an integrative route. It's really hard balancing those two worlds and walking that that tight rope. It can be very difficult. Um, so yeah, I just wish that it wasn't so hard and that they cooperated a little more. That would be really nice. <laughs> you are not alone. That yeah. is one of the top three answers I, I get. <laughs> okay. Are you ready for the Thriver yeah. rapid fire questions? Let's do it. All right. Beach desert or mountains mountains with a lake <laughs> so Ooh, a okay <laughs> i like it <laughs> beach boys beetles or rolling stones definitely beetles what is one word that best describes you i think other people would say caring i would agree but i think determined is is more close to my heart before you die what's the last song you want to hear Golden Slumbers by the Beatles. It's my favorite song. And it's just very it nice is? and soft and sweet and comforting. And what about the last meal you want to eat? I think it would be just like a smorgasbord of everything from all of the Asian countries, like Thai food, sushi, Vietnamese, Loatian. I got to go to Laos uh, in 2020, just before COVID hit. Uh, and it was, yeah, some of the best food I've ever had. I love, I love the, the flavors from there, the spicy, the sweet, the, oh yeah, so good. And the last person or people you want to see? My partner and, and my mom and my sister. Yeah, if I could pick three. And the last words you will speak? The imagined fantasy would probably be something, courage over comfort is a mantra that I say a lot. And it's actually the, the, the handle on my acting Instagram profile. But yeah, it really just <laughs> it really just means yeah, having the courage to do things that are not comfortable. But in all likelihood, in reality, it will probably just be I love you to whoever is with me. Um, and I like the idea of going out and leaving some extra love in the world on my way. Well, that goes right in with caring. Yeah. The yeah. way people see you. <laughs> That's true. And aside from Cancer You, what is one resource you would recommend mm -hmm. for cancer patients and caregivers? And also be sure to talk about your work. Third party, not my own resource that I would recommend. There's a, um, a wonderful cancer center, a support cancer support center in Hamilton called Wellwood. Um, and it is usually before COVID, they, it was only available locally to whoever was here, but now Thanks to COVID happening, one of the nice things 
one of the only nice things to come from it is that there's a lot more online stuff. So they do a lot of online programming now. They do online um, educational lecture series on lots of different things like reducing side effects from treatment and nutrition. They do exercise programs. They send out, you can sign up to get um, like guided meditations and visualizations every week. So yeah, that one I always recommend to people because it's completely free and they have just a really wide variety. They have, and they have programs to support family members as well. Um, kids who are living with a, a terminal diagnosis or a serious diagnosis in the family. As I said, it was really, really difficult taking an integrative route. It was basically my full-time job for the first you know, six to eight months. It's very easy for me to research. It's my my response to anxiety is what can I do? What can I learn? Like, let's go. Um, so I just went into research mode and did as much as I could. And I recognize that that's not everybody's response. A lot of people don't even know where to start. And they also just don't have the mental and emotional energy after a diagnosis to do that. So I wanted to just try to make it a bit easier um, and start sharing the things that I had done, the things that I found effective, the resources that I had relied on. And then I also wanted to figure out, because I came through cancer pretty well mentally and emotionally, and right after, I really didn't know how I had done that, but I knew I needed to figure out how I had done that so that I could share it with other people, because that is the biggest struggle I think is the mental and emotional battle especially after treatments done as well because you feel like you're being very proactive you're doing lots of stuff you're keeping busy because you have so many appointments and then all of that just like comes to a screaming halt and you don't have no idea what to do so just writing the blog I do a, a mixture of research-based articles about yeah alternative treatments good supplements new research that's coming out from the conventional world and also the uh, alternative world as well but then I also do a lot of just sort of like personal writing about my own experience um, and the things that I've learned. I do a series of posts called Lessons Cancer Taught Me and I, I don't even know how many I have now, probably 75. Um, they just keep occurring to me and just keep writing them down. I, I, I share them every year starting on my, my cancerversary. I really just want to share both my experience and then also the practical things that I that I did and that I found effective and yeah just try to make it as easy as possible for people to find that information so it's something I enjoy doing it's something I felt sort of compelled to do so I thought why not I have yeah my website with my blog I have a, an online course on there about risk reduction after treatment is over and I also have an interview series that I created on mental and emotional health after a diagnosis um, and then I also have a Facebook group where I post about four times a week. I do a Mental Health Monday on Mondays. I post, yeah, new research, recipes. Uh, I post about just free events that I find out about and other resources and things like that that I think will be helpful. Um, blogs from other people that are great and have uh, good information. Yeah, so I'm just trying to put as much information in one place as possible. So that's um, soullesscancercommunity.com is the uh, website. And then, yeah, you can get to everywhere else from there. All right. That sounds great. We will put that in the workshop notes and also great. in the show notes for the podcast. I want to thank you so much for Absolutely. coming on today and sharing your story. You have a very positive is not even a strong enough <laughs> word. You just have such strong, positive, serene mm, might be the word that energy. Might be it. Yeah served me well and I hope that I can um, yeah just help spread it to other people thank you again Rebecca yeah, thank you so much for having me Andrea thank you for listening to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast if you like our podcast give us a five star rating and review and tell your friends about us subscribe on Apple Podcast Amazon Music 
Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening right now. If you want to share your cancer journey with the world and be a guest on our podcast, go to our website, cancer.university. That's cancer.university. And hit the contact button or click the contact link in the show notes. You've been listening to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. Real people, true stories.